How great it is to be at Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. What a great place you are. Do you know, um, when you do what I do for a living, you preach in a lot of places. But when I come here, um, I just get a special feeling about this place. I thank you for it. I love Albany. Um, I love um, Albany State. I, your coaches, these guys are at church and they need to be. All these guys over here from the Albany State football staff, and they need to be here. They're a bunch of trash. And um, I'm glad y'all are here. What, what a great, great, great deal to be here. I told them in the first service, um, I pastored a church one time, and I had a guy in my church that was just simply sorry. I mean, he's always doing stuff. Nobody liked him. He's mean to his wife and his kids. One day, he took his mule down to the creek to wash it. And the mule kicked him to death. Most of us in town wasn't that sorry that he was gone, but thought she was relieved. Well, I preached the funeral, and I looked over after the service, and the wife was standing here, and the lines were coming. When the women came through, she'd go like this. And when the men came through, she'd go like this. Well, my curiosity got me. I finally said to her, um, what in the world was going on? She said, well, I'll tell you. She said, when the men came through, they told me they were so sorry for my loss. And when the women came through, they asked me if they could buy my mule. Amen. You got to know what's going on. My ties to this church are very, very deep. Um, I think the first time I came up here to speak, Reggie Joyner was a minister of youth here, and we did a, um, a youth vacation Bible school, about 300 kids, and, and uh, I was up here for four days and worked with a football team even when I was up here, and then uh, later on, uh, my uncle pastored here. Dr. W.A. Smith is my uncle. If he did things you like, I'm his nephew. If, if, he and I used to just have all kinds. And I want to say this publicly. He really was a good football player. He used to talk about that. He lied about so many things. I never knew if he really was that good. Uh, <laughs> but I saw him play ball. Uh, he's eight years older than I am, I think. I can't remember exactly, but... Um, I grew up in Starkville, Mississippi, and he grew up in Louisville, Mississippi. And I would go see him play football games, and he would take me places and take me to church. And just uh, Brother Billy, I just loved him. I still talk to him. He is pastoring a church over the Mississippi Delta. He drives down every Wednesday and stays through Sunday and goes back Sunday night. And um, He's in pretty good health, uh, as stubborn as he's ever been. And... Um, what I know about this church is he loved this place, and he loved, had quite a vision for y'all. I just was curious, how many of you even know who he is? Anybody in here know who he is? Okay, I just want to make sure that you would admit that publicly. <laughs> and I'll talk to him this week, and I'll tell him that you did that. Well, 
Let me ask you a question because I, I uh, am curious. Uh, everyone win one. How many of you in this room this morning have a person that you have in mind that you want to get to know Christ? Would you hold your hand up if you've got one? Do you, uh, how many of you uh, have had the joy of seeing someone you've been praying for accept Christ and you witnessed to them? Mm. That's awesome. I, I, that may be the most important thing that we learned this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. I have one of those. When, when, uh, when Michael started this, I, I started thinking with him and, um, about what to do, and so I started thinking of people. Uh, when you're an evangelist and you travel all the time and you're never home, you got to figure out who you're going to witness to. And there's a guy in my neighborhood that I made up my mind. He was going to be my one. Neatest thing in the world. I tried to figure out a way to share Christ with him, and, and God gave me that opportunity. He, had, uh, he told me he was having knee surgery tomorrow morning, he said. And so I'm one of these guys that gets up early, and it was when the moon was so full. Do you remember it was so, that big old moon we got to see? And I walked outside early one morning. I wanted to see the moon. And uh, I didn't realize that my friend, who I'd been witnessing to, would get up that early to go get his surgery done. And uh, God talks to me a lot of times, and he said, all right, hot shot. You've been praying for him. There he is. Got him all by himself. And I started thinking of excuses why I shouldn't say anything. And then and, and I, I said, man, what a... And I walked over where he was, two or three houses from my house, and I said to him, uh, you know, I pastored for years. He said, I knew that. I said, you know, every time somebody had surgery, uh, I would always go see them the day of surgery, and I'd ask them the same question. If you died during this surgery, uh, would you be with Jesus? And uh, so Frank, and that wasn't his name, I said... Um, if you die this morning, will you be with Jesus? And he told me that he had uh, gone to vacation Bible school when he was younger and he was a member of a church. And I said, let's know what I ask you. And I got a great chance to share Jesus with him at 530 in the morning. Uh, that wasn't on my agenda. That was on God's agenda. So I pray for you to do the same thing as you are out and about. But more than that, I want to tell you why you ought to do it. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the reason we do what we do is that we serve a real Jesus. He really is real. I don't care how much you put three-piece suits on him and give him a King James language. He was a nitty-gritty kind of guy. He's real, and I want to talk about his real. There's a passage of Scripture that I think best communicates that. If you will open your Bibles to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, and follow along with me as I read for you, starting in verse 12. Now, you will notice that preachers start reading before you get there. It makes us feel so superior. Uh, we have it marked, and so we know where it is already, but at least it wasn't some strange text like Leviticus. But anyway, in, in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke is an account of... Um, Jesus responding to a special person. Now, if you remember anything about the Bible, in the fourth chapter of Luke, he's gone back to his hometown, and he says in the fourth chapter of Luke, in a sermon at his home church, that uh, he came to bring 
sight to the blind and release to the captive. And, and so that's the sermon. But when we get to the fifth chapter, he starts acting out what he came to do. The first verses in that chapter deal with his calling disciples. Uh, I always like to note that he called men who were not spiritual men. They were just everyday fishermen. And they had been fishing all night, and Jesus encounters them and calls in the ministry. And then you come to verse 12, and we meet a description of how Jesus is real. Now, you follow along with me, please, as I read, starting in verse 12. It says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, the Greek and some commentators and some translations say, a man who was consumed with leprosy. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I want you to at least for right now know that uh, he was full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged it to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, in just a minute, I want to talk to you about a real Jesus. Before I talk about that, however, I want to talk to him. Would you bow your heads and your hearts and let me pray for us? Sunday morning, that time when we set aside to worship you, um, you know us better than we know ourselves, so you know where people are who come here this morning. Some people's faith is so alive, they literally leap at the opportunity to worship. Some people this morning, in their faith, find it dull and not meaningful. Some folks this morning are running towards you. And some folks this morning are running away from you. And we've all come this morning desiring to leave different than when we came. You know the one who's preaching, his sins are many, they call him reverend and he's not. And you know the folks who listen and you know where they really are spiritual in their lives. And we dare to pray that as we worship together, we could hear the quiet shuffling of sandal feet. That you'd walk through this room, but more importantly, you would walk through our lives and visit us like never before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You remember when you promised God you were going to read the Bible through and you got to Leviticus and quit? Now, if you lie about that, you lie about a lot of other stuff. Because all of us had the experience. We, we were reading and we kind of got it, and then we get to Leviticus, and they start giving all these laws, like chocolate's not good for you and all these things. It's in Leviticus. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, anyway, but if you read through Leviticus as a serious Bible student, you will cover or, in, or discover in chapter 15 and 16 a whole section about skin diseases and personal hygiene. It mentions specifically leprosy. And leprosy was a consuming disease. It was consuming because not only did it physically affect you, it would start with a spot on the back of your hand or on your knee or on your foot, and then it would begin, it, depending on what you had, tubercular or nodular uh, leprosy, whichever one it was, it would spread in your body and attack nerve endings, and your fingers would rot off. Your foot might rot off. And it was horrible. But even worse, the priest would declare you unclean. I mean, if he looked at your hand and saw a spot, you were in trouble. And he would declare that you were unclean, and you then were put outside the gate. You couldn't worship. You couldn't be with your family. No one would touch you. You would stay out there, and when people came close, you had to grab the dust and throw it in the air, and you were commanded to cry out, I am unclean. I am unclean. And people would go away from you. Nobody touched you. Nobody got close to you. No one got within 100 feet of you. You couldn't go to the synagogue. You were an outcast. It was a real hurt. It was real not only because of the disease, but because of the loneliness. Now, some of you are pretty sharp. You just said, I don't know anybody that's got leprosy. <laughs> Wrong, dragon breath. You do. You do know lepers. Ever been left out? You, you remember when you got a divorce and everybody kind of declared you as unclean? Maybe you got left out of a group. I, I mentioned this to teenagers. Maybe you wanted to be a cheerleader and you weren't, which is a good thing because they go around saying, we're number one, you've lost five ball games. You're not number one anymore. <laughs> but you wanted to be a cheerleader and you didn't make it and you kind of got left out. Remember when everybody had a date for the prom? Nobody asked you and you were left out. Felt like you had leprosy. Um, I speak to a lot of athletic teams, and I've had African-American players tell me that you don't know what it's like to be black in an all-white situation. He said, I've, I've walked across the street, and people in cars at the stoplight lock their doors. 
and you feel like you got leprosy. Where you get old. Do you know how brilliant us 75 and up people are? We are smart. We know all kind of stuff. And everybody younger than 75 thinks we're old and worn out. And they kind of ostracize us and set us out. And before you know it, you're pretty lonely. And then you lose your mate and you're living by yourself and fighting Social Security. It's just horrible to be. I, it's terrible to get old. And they just make a leper out of you. And a young man called me last week and said, Mr. Smith, I said, yes. He said, I'm so-and-so from Home Depot. I said, I know who you are. He said, you remember you bought windows from us three years ago? And I said, I do. He said, you hadn't made a payment. I said, son, you told me they'd pay for themselves in three years. <laughs> Amen? We may be old, but we're not dumb. But you feel like you're left out, and, and the hurt becomes so real. You're here this morning, and you think you've got leprosy because you're left out. Do I have some good news for you? Not only is Jesus real, his compassion is real. Now listen close. Uh, the scripture says, he said, if you are willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus said, I am willing and the scripture records that he touches him. Now listen close to me. You probably think he reached out and put his hand on his shoulder. That may be so. But I think something else happened. It's just me. I think Jesus went over to where this guy was. And the guy's sitting in the dust. And I think Jesus knelt down beside him. And I think he wrapped his arms around him. I think he said, I am willing. The electric moment had to have been awesome. Nobody's touched you. Nobody's been near you. And here this guy is kneeling in the dust by you, throwing his arms around you and loving you. Got to share a story with you. I was chaplain at the University of South Carolina, and we were playing in the CarQuest Bowl, 1995. Now, South Carolina had not won a lot of bowl, bowl games, and uh, we called it the chicken curse. We'd go to bowl games, but we'd never win. But our goal that year was to break the chicken curse. We were going to win. We played West Virginia, and we did win. On a field goal from a little kicker about that tall, by the name of Reed Morton. In the second quarter, he kicked a 41-yard field goal, and we ended up winning and broke the chicken curse. And something strange happened. An Associated Press reporter snapped a picture after the game of me hugging him. We got that, guys? Take a look at that. That's at the CarQuest Bowl. And that picture is on the front of one of the books I've written, by the way. And, but also, uh, that picture was flashed across the country. I got on the plane that morning, and the lady on the plane, the flight attendant, said to me, your picture's on the front of the paper today. And I thought, I don't, 
I don't think so. She said, oh, I saw it. Then I landed in Columbia, and um, my brother called me and said, how in the world did your picture get on the front page of USA Today? You've never been an athlete at all, and there you are. <laughs> and I ran to the newsstand and bought every copy they had. I have 250 copies of the paper <laughs> of me hugging that kid. I got a letter from one lady, and this is what she said to me. I wish my son had a coach who loved him enough to hug his neck. We got more requests for copies of that picture than we did for George Rogers' uh, Heisman Trophy win. Because let me tell you why. Our world is full of people longing to be hugged in the middle of their mess. I always say this, by the way, you men, especially you guys, women love. But you better learn to hug your kids because if you don't, they'll find somebody who will. And you may not like who they find. It's the giving of the blessing. Tomorrow is an anniversary for me, not a pleasant one. Tomorrow is the anniversary of my father who committed suicide. Uncle Billy Smith's oldest brother. He was an alcoholic, struggled all of his life with alcoholism and eventually took his own life. Interestingly enough, um, he never told me he loved me, never hugged me. I spent a good part of my life being an unblessed child of an alcoholic until I really discovered the grace of Jesus and found the real father in my life. If you're here this morning and you've never felt the embrace of a compassionate Christ, I pray that you will. Real hurt, real compassion, real healing. Listen close. He says to the guy, don't tell anybody. That's like, Telling your kids, don't repeat that outside this house. Uh, Y'all have the kids that do that. Just hang on because you'll get grandkids, which are your reward for not killing your children. And um, they'll do what you tell them, but your kids won't. But anyway, um, don't tell anybody, but go to the priest. Now look, you probably figured out by now I'm a rascal. I'm not left-brained, I'm right-brained. I think in word pictures, okay? So here's my picture. The priest has got him in the synagogue, and like worn-out Baptists, they sing an amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And uh, they all, only they sing, perhaps Messiah will come today. They sing it every Sunday or Saturday, whichever the case may be. And my leper friend came to the back door and kicked the door open and walked in and said, I'm back. <laughs> and I don't have leprosy. And Messiah's here. I saw him on the road. Amen. And his healing was complete. 
if you ever met somebody, I used to pastor down in Central Florida, and we had a alcoholic treatment center for drug addicts and alcohol folks addicted to alcohol, which is the worst drug in America. But another story, you ever seen a drunk get saved? They'll never shut up. <laughs> Every time we have testimony, let me tell you what God did for me. And they'll start squalling because they know what it's like to find real compassion. If you're here this morning and you've never found real compassion, you need to discover it. The last thing I want to say is a real coping mechanism. A real hurt, a real compassion, a real healing, but a real coping mechanism. Look at verse 16. The first time I ever read that passage, I thought, that doesn't belong with this. And then it occurred to me. It says that Jesus went away to lonely places and prayed. Could I give you some advice? The best coping mechanism you have for life is called prayer. I hope somewhere in your life you have a lonely place that you can go to and pray. Because you'll be better spiritually. I tell young pastors all the time, they ask me what they ought to do to to be better pastors, and I say, learn to pray. Learn to pray. Get you a lonely place and get there. My kids, for years, know about my chair in the den. Always had a lonely place to go to. They never bothered me when I was in that chair because I'd be there praying every morning. You need a real coping place. Let me share with you what has to be the best experience I've ever had preaching and says everything I've tried to say to you this morning. I've been most fortunate. I've preached in a lot of weird places. I, I worked for the Graham people for years and I've preached in crusades in Australia and in, and in New Jersey and Long Island and San Jose, California, and those are fun. I even preached in an onion barn in Vidalia, Georgia. I went up there to do a conference for a man, and I met with all of his um, executives and his, his management people, and he said to me, is there any way I could get you to talk to our guys in the back? I don't know if you've ever been in the back of an onion barn, but it's hot as blue blazes, and they got those fans running, and he said, I, I'd like for you to just take 15 minutes and share the gospel with them. I remember forever, he paid them to take a break. Maybe you would increase our crowds in church if we do this, but all those guys got paid to come hear me preach. The fans were so loud, I literally screamed my sermon. But saw people get saved in that onion barn. But that's not the most exciting place I ever preached. The place is called Dunklin Memorial. It's a drug treatment center on the edge of the Everglades started by Adrian Rogers years ago, and, and it's a place that you go and live for two weeks trying to dry out or get free of drugs. And you bring your family there, and everybody lives there. They've got a, a, a meat process in place. I think it's called an arbitoire. They've got a, 
a lumber mill and you work in that and they raise all their own food and they raise all their own cattle and you just live there. And they asked me to come speak at their annual revival. Now you can't get there with a GPS. He sends you a hand-drawn map. If you run away from that place, you end up in the Everglades and you don't want to do that, okay? And I drive up and I park and I get out of my car and a lady's coming this way and she looks at me and she says, has anybody told you? I had no clue what she was talking about. I thought, are my pants unzipped? Am I parked in the wrong place? Did anybody? And I went on past. I just act like I didn't see her, you know. If you don't know what they said, just act like you didn't hear it. <laughs> and uh, before I got to the door up there, this man came out and he looked at me and he says, anybody ever told you? I thought, maybe they've canceled this deal. I'm not even supposed to be here. I went on in the door, and the lady at the desk, receptionist, looked at me and said, has anybody, I said, time out. Has anybody ever told me what? He said, oh, here, we greet each other with this greeting. Has anybody ever told you, and you're supposed to say, told me what? And then I will say to you that Jesus loves you, and so do I. For three days, everybody I went by would say to me, has anybody ever told you? And I would say, what? And they'd say, Jesus loves you, and so do I. I shared that at a men's retreat at the Cove about three years ago, and I get telephone calls all the time from men around the country who will call me, and I'll say, hello, and they'll say, has anybody told you? They told me what? That Jesus loves you, and so do I. That's what you're doing when you start looking for one to reach for Jesus. You're asking them a question. Has anybody ever told you? Let me ask you that this morning. I hope by now somebody's told you about the love of Jesus and you're finding him. That's what this book says. And that book never lies. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me this morning? Well, Lord, here we are. Finishing a worship service after proclaiming the gospel and wondering who within the sound of my voice needs to know the love of Jesus. I'm going to talk to two, two folks, head bowed and eyes closed. Are you one of those people that feel like you got leprosy? That you don't belong anywhere and nobody knows who you are and cares about where you are? Boy, do I have some good news for you. 
For unto you has been born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. If you'd open up your life and feel his embrace, you will never be the same. If you're here this morning and don't know that, love, now's a good time to do something about it. If you're here this morning and you're burdened about somebody out there that you want to know Christ, figure out how you can tell them about the real Jesus and let them know of his love for them. Maybe you'd come to the altar this morning and just lay their name here and say, Lord, this is my one. Help me tell the story of the real Jesus. Speak to us in these moments as we sing. Open up our hearts and lives to receive your presence and your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have folks at the front who will receive you or pray with you or whatever your need is. Come and make your way to the altar and come and take them by the hand. Say, look, I, I'm, I got leprosy. And let Jesus' love and grace forgive you. You come while we stand together and sing.